encourage you to get your Bibles and be turning to Mark chapter 9, the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Come to that in just a moment. It's good to be back after being away in Pasadena, Texas with the Parkview Church. Good, solid church there. This is where Jerry Fight preaches. Jerry was with us a year ago in our fall meeting. Good to be with those brethren there. That's my last for the year, so I'll be home for the winter. Don't go again, I think, maybe to March. I'm not sure, but anyway, be home for a while. It's good to be back after being away. Saw the Casimirs while I was there. They're in the area, not, a mem- not members there. They send their greetings to the church here and say, tell everyone hello. One other thing before we get into the lesson, Brother Bobby Thompson, we've been mentioning his serious health condition. He has some serious health issues, as we all know. And he asked that I come and talk with him about his readiness for judgment. And he wanted to have prayer together and ask for forgiveness of any wrong. And he was concerned about missing so much worship lately due to his health condition. While he's been too sick to attend, he wonders if he could have pushed to be at worship on some occasions. And so we had prayer together asking God to forgive him of any wrong that he has repented of, and he and the family wanted that to be known to the church here. Let's open our Bibles to Mark 9. Mark chapter 9 is the story of the healing of the epileptic son. Mark's account doesn't tell us that was the issue, that is, epileptic uh, problems that he had, but Matthew does. There are parallel accounts In Matthew 17 and in Luke chapter 9, we'll allude to Matthew's account later on, but I want us to focus on Mark's account beginning at verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And then one from the multitude answered and said, Teacher, I brought, to, brought you my son, who has a mute spirit, and wherever he seizes him, he throws him down and foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then he brought him to him, and he saw him, And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him both in the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he began, became as, a dead, uh, as one dead, So that many said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. 
And when he came into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's talk about the setting of the story first. Verses 14 to 16. What's going on in the background? Well, Jesus and three of his disciples have just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus comes down, he finds a large crowd gather, and there is some disputing and arguing going on, the text says. The problem? Verses 17 and 18, the father of the epileptic son explains. When Jesus said, what, what, what are y'all arguing about? The father explains, I have a son that has an evil spirit, he says. And I brought him to you. Well, Jesus wasn't there. Because he'd been up on the mountain. So what he did was, he asked the disciples, could they do something about the spirit and cast him out? And he said, the disciples failed. I brought him to you and asked them to cast him out, and they couldn't do that. They failed. That had to be a setback for the father. Who cries out later in the text, not only for his son, but for himself. He's suffering with his son. I want something done for my son. I, I want some help with my son. And I came to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. Beginning at verse 19, here was Jesus' response. Through the rest of that reading to verse 29. What did he say? Well, a surprising response. Rather than immediately heal the child, what he says is, he rebukes the Jews and the scribes for their unbelief, verse 19. Notice what he says at verse 19. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? He rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees for their unbelief. The son was then brought to Jesus, verses 20 to 22. And the father explains what's going on. And the father expressed doubt. Look at verse 22. He said, if you can do anything. Not, I know you can do something, but if you can do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. The father then cries out for help. He said, Lord, I believe. Verse 24. Help my Unbelief. You might underline that phrase. Help my unbelief. Jesus took, said, bring the son to me. Bring him here. Jesus took him and healed him and cast out the demon and said, don't enter him anymore. So now the son is, is completely healed and Jesus has him to rise up and he begins to walk. Then later, privately, the disciples come to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do that? You were able to cast out the demon. We tried and we failed. Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus tells them why. He said, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. What does he mean by that? Well, Matthew's account gives us some insight. We'll come back to this later, but Matthew 17, 20, same story, but a parallel account said it was because of your unbelief that you couldn't cast him out. Here's what I want you to notice. This is a story of faith and doubt. I want you to notice three times there was a focus on that. First at verse 19, there was a broad statement to the Jews when Jesus says, what's going on? What's all the arguing going on here? What's all the disputing about? Well, I brought my son and they, your disciples couldn't heal him. 
And Jesus turns in a broad statement and with a wide brush paints the Jewish nation and rebukes them for being faithless. He said, oh, faithless generation. That was intended for the Jews and for the scribes, but he had to be thinking of his own disciples too. The father then secondly expressed doubt. Go back to verse 22. If you can do anything. I said this is a story of faith and doubt. The nation as a whole is rebuked, or the, the group as a whole is rebuked for being faithless, and then the Father expresses some doubt. He said, if you can do anything. Pulpit described that as half doubting and half in despair. And while referring to Jesus, when he says, if you can do anything, he was pointing to the failure of the disciples of verse 18. Linsky said it best when he said, when he qualifies his petition with the clause, if thou art able in any way, we should remember the setback his faith received when the nine disciples of Jesus failed to accomplish anything. This if refers to that failure. I'm wondering what you can do when they fail. Then the third thing I want you to notice is the disciples were told that their problem was a lack of faith. So notice three times in this short story, the faithless generation, the father has doubt, and then he turns to the disciples and said, you've got a problem with it too. Because your lack of faith was the problem here. It is a story of faith and doubt. Let's go to verse 24. As we came through that a moment ago, I asked and suggested that you underline this expression, help my unbelief. I want you to notice what the Father said. He said, if you can do anything, and Jesus picks up on that doubt. He said, if you can believe. And his response, look at verse 24, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Notice the paradoxical phrasing. I believe, help my unbelief. He said, he claims to have faith, but he recognizes his weakness. He had faith, but he craved for more, Robertson observes. Here's some translations of that phrase. <clears throat> the NLT said, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The Amplified says, help the, my weakness of faith. The Living Bible paraphrases it by saying, I do have faith. Oh, help me to have more. Let's look at this phrase found in our text at verse 24, help my unbelief. Here's the point. That we must recognize what is lacking in order to fill the void. That's true in any area. I'll never fill the void of a lack of knowledge if I don't understand I'm lacking in knowledge. On any subject, forget Bible matters. If I don't understand I'm lacking in knowledge, I'll never fill the void. So in the matter of faith, I need to recognize something is lacking in my faith or I never will fill the void. Again, I quote from Linsky, he said this too as well. That is when he said, help my unbelief. For they who feel their lack of faith are in the best condition for removing this lack. How true that is. The one who says, you know what, I don't see anything missing in my faith. I think my faith is just great. It's fine like it is. You're never going to fill the void. But the one who says, I see weakness in my, I see cracks in my faith, are the ones who can fill the void. Let's talk about help 
my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. Go back to your text in verse 24. Here the father cried out saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can you today cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's see what we've learned from this context and some application thereof. The cry is, help me have stronger faith. Help me have stronger faith. I believe. Oh, it's not that I don't have faith. I believe, but help me to have stronger faith. I want to suggest to you that it's possible to have faith and yet it not be as strong as it should be. Evidence, you ask? The disciples themselves were rebuked for having little faith. Remember, when Jesus would talk about those who would worry about uh, the daily necessities of life, oh, ye of little faith. Same statement was made in Matthew 8 and verse 26. Peter was warned that his faith could fail. You can have faith, and then the bottom can fall out of your faith. Your faith can fail. It's possible to be weak in faith. Abraham was not weak in faith. That implies there is a possibility one can have faith and they can be weak in faith. We'll give some examples of that as we go along. Let's open our Bibles to Thessalonians, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The faith that you have, you say, I have faith, I believe. And there is no doubt you do. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 3. Your faith can be shaken. It may be by pressure. You remember as Paul left Thessalonica. He left in a cloud of persecution. And he was worried about this. The reason he left was he was concerned that his presence may make it harder on them. And he was concerned, how did they fare over there? So he sends a letter back to them. And he says at verse 3 that he's concerned that they not be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we're appointed to this. I hope that when I left and you were under pressure, that pressure didn't get to you. You say, I have faith, I believe, that's great. But your faith can be shaken. Let's go to the second letter of the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2 and in verse 2, it can be shaken by error. There were some who were teaching a doctrine that says the second coming of Christ is imminent. It's going to happen at any time. So consequently, you can quit your job, quit your work, and do whatever you want to do. And notice at verse 2 he said, for uh, do not be soon shaken, in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, as the day of the Christ has come. Apparently someone had forged a letter saying that this was the doctrine and assigned Paul's name to that, or at least one of the apostles. Oh, don't be, so, don't be shaken by this error. It's not true. My faith may be shaken by neglect. It's possible I could neglect so great salvation, Hebrews 2 and in verse 13. That was the problem with the Hebrews. Let's go back to the context. My faith may be shaken by the failure of others. Whatever faith this man has or had, had to be shaken a bit when he went to those nine disciples and they failed. Barclay said originally he came seeking for Jesus himself. He said so, verse 18. Since Jesus was on the mountaintop, he had to deal with the disciples, and his experience of them was discouraging. His faith was badly shaken, so badly shaken, that when he came to Jesus, all he could say at first was, help me if you can. 
Then face to face with Jesus, suddenly his faith blazoned up again, and I believe, he cried. Sometimes happens that people get less than they hoped from some church or from some servant of the church. When that happened, they ought to press beyond the church to the master of the church, beyond the servant of Christ to Christ himself. The church may at times disappoint us, and God's servants on earth may disappoint us, but when we battle our way face to face with Jesus, he never disappoints us. I say amen to Barclay. You see, faith is strengthened through the word. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to have stronger faith. But the way I have stronger faith is through the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, Romans 10, 17. We all know the passage well. That tells me that faith is built, faith is strengthened, faith is maintained through the Word. Paul would commend the elders of the church at Ephesus to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. You say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to have stronger faith. How can I ever have stronger faith? I'm built up by the Word. Read and study your Word. Read and study your Word and read and study your Word. I want to suggest to you, don't ever expect your faith to get any stronger when we read very little in the Word. When you bring your Bible, or maybe not even bring a Bible to worship service, and then we go home and from Sunday to the next Sunday we haven't opened the book and we haven't read from it and we haven't studied from it. Don't ever expect your faith to get any stronger. You say, Lord, I believe. I'll help my unbelief. How about you helping it yourself? It isn't going to get any stronger if you read very little of the Word. When we spend more time reading and listening to things about the Word, more than the word itself, don't expect your faith to get much stronger. You say, I want to I I be spiritual tonight, and so I'm going to read an article that someone wrote about the word. I'm going to listen to a message someone has about the word. I'm going to read a little in a commentary about the word, and we're not spending time with the word. Don't expect your faith to get any stronger when we're not spending time with the word. The goal is to have the faith that fully trusts. Let's go back to the context here. The father didn't fully trust. He said he believed, verse, verse 24, but back at verse 22, he didn't fully trust. If you can do anything, help us. If. Jesus calls for him to fully trust. Look at verse 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Oh, yes, you have faith. I understand that. But you need to fully trust in me. That's what he's calling for. The point with the disciples is they did not fully trust, or they could have cast it out themselves. Let's go to verse 29. Let's see how this laces in and fits with the context. He said, this kind comes out only when the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's fully trusting. Faith described by prayer and fasting. What does he mean? Prayer, like Luke 18, by the way. This fits well with Luke 18. Prayer that is an expression of our faith and our trust that God will respond. Have the kind of trust in God that you're continually praying unto God, trusting He will respond to you, and fasting in a way that you have faith that God will help and will provide. 
You see, the fasting and the prayer in this context is pointing to a faith that fully trusts in God. That's our goal. Go back to verse 24. I believe. Help my unbelief. This is a cry, secondly, for help me settle my doubts. Help me settle my doubts. The Father had doubts. Let's go back to verse 22. He said, if. That suggests he had a question on his mind. He is not saying, I don't believe you can. He doesn't come boldly to Jesus and say, your disciples couldn't do it, and I don't think you can either. But he does have questions. Perhaps he had good reason for that question and that doubt. Remember the disciples' failure had led to this? Go back to verse 18. Look at verse 18 uh, um, of Luke 9. Or verse, verse 17, rather. Teacher, I brought you my son. I was coming to you. That's who I was coming to. But you weren't here. And so I saw these nine disciples. And they failed. So it makes me wonder, can you do this? His reason was that there was the failure of the disciples, but his request was, help me with my doubts. Lord, I believe, help me with my doubts that I have. And I want to suggest to you, there are times that we have doubts even though we have faith. Peter did. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter wanted to know, can I come to you? And he said, well, come. And as Peter makes his way across the water, he walks on the water for a while and then he sinks. And Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? Peter had faith. But he doubted. Look at Luke chapter 24. This is... This is well fits with us today sometimes when we th have things that we, we don't know what to do with. We don't know how to explain it. We don't know how to answer it. The disciples are gathered together, Luke chapter 24, and Jesus came in their midst and said, Peace to them. But verse 20, or 37 says they were terrified and frightened, supposing they'd seen a spirit. They'd seen something they didn't know how to explain. They had heard something they don't know what, they don't understand. And he said, why are you troubled and why did doubt to rise in your hearts? They doubted when they saw something they couldn't explain. We have doubts. You see, we too are going to have questions and doubts at times. But here's the point. Doubts can be and they must be settled. The father cried for help. That's what he's doing. Look at, go back to verse 24, to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He said, Jesus said, if you believe, you have to believe in me. He said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me with my doubts. He's crying for him. Let's go to Acts 17, a very familiar text. There's nothing wrong with having questions and doubts. Not a thing wrong with that. You hear some doctrine and you say, that, that disturbs me. I, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to respond to that. Is that a valid point they're making here? Is that use of that passage, is, is maybe they've got a point here. And so you have doubts. Nothing wrong with doubts. 
Listen to me carefully. The problem is keeping those doubts and never settling those doubts. Look at Acts 17, 30, uh, Acts 17 and verse 11. The Bereans were commended because they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why is it that they were considered so noble? They received the word with all readiness of mind. They had an open mind, willing to listen, but they were not gullible. Why, why, why do we say that? Are you reading with me verse 11? They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things were so. What they heard they didn't accept. They had doubts. They had questions. I don't know if that's true or not. You see, Paul's preaching. He said, Isaiah said, I'm not sure Isaiah said that. So they go and search the scriptures and find out whether Isaiah really said that. And, and Jeremiah talked about that. Well, I'm not sure Jeremiah talked about that. Let's go over here and search the scrolls and see if Jeremiah said that. Is that where they stop? They still have questions? Look at verse 12. Are you reading with me? Verse 12. Therefore many of them, you watch the next word, believed. They settled their doubts. They searched and they found answers. I believe. Help my unbelief. What was he asking? Lord, help me have stronger faith. Help me settle my doubts. Let's make another application of that that may not be immediate in the context. We can make the same cry, Lord, help my unbelief. And what we're saying is, Lord, help my disobedience. Help me with that. Because you see, disobedience is equated with unbelief. Let's take a case in point. Moses disobeyed God. Let's go back over to the book of Numbers, if you will, Numbers 20, and in verse 12. You recall how that God had told Moses, you go speak to the rock, and the water will come forth. Moses goes forth, and he strikes the rock. That was disobedience. He did what he wanted out of frustration rather than what the Lord wanted. So in verse 20, he said, because you did not believe me, you didn't accept me. You see what disobedience is? The reason it's equated with unbelief is it because it is following our own will and not God's. It's a rejection of God in doing our own will. That's disbelief. While at the same time we have faith, we're not obeying. You see, it is faith that involves listening and obeying. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11.4 Faith listens and it obeys. I want to suggest to you that every act of disobedience is a crack in our faith. Whenever I do what God says I do, James 2 uh, and verse 9, for example, if you have respect of persons, you commit sin. We're not talking about adultery. We're not talking about drunkenness. We're not talking about stealing. We're not talking about idolatry. This is a case where under the pressure, they show some respect for someone, show a respect of persons, treat someone because of their wealth, better than someone who may have, be of poverty. No, you shouldn't do that. That's a crack in the faith right there. We just disobeyed. It's a crack in the faith. Or when I fail to do what I know I ought to be doing, James chapter 4 and verse 17, that also is a crack in our faith. Cry, verse 24, as it applies to us, may be that we're asking God, help me to be stronger in our faith and help me to be more obedient. 
Help me to grow in your favor. That's what 2 Peter 3.18 is about. Growing in the grace of the Lord. Help me grow more pleasing. Help me be less disobedient. Help me to be mature in the faith like we read about in Philippians 3 and in verse 15. Help me with those moments of disobedience. When I follow my own will, help them be fewer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The cry may be for us that I'm saying to God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, help me with my rejection of your word. That's equated with unbelief. I want to suggest to you that it's possible to have faith and then turn right around and reject something God said because it didn't fit our thinking. And you say, well, I wouldn't describe that kind of person as a person of faith. Well, let's go to Luke 1 and see. Do you remember Zacharias? I was the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest. We introduced to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. The text says they were both righteous. They must have had faith. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Sounds like faith to me, doesn't it, you? People of faith. He's a priest. He's serving before the altar. An angel of the Lord appears to him in his old age and says, you and your wife are going to have a child. Sound familiar? Sounds like what was said to Abraham, wasn't it? Abraham embraced it and accepted it and didn't reject it at all. But I want you to notice when he was given this word from the Lord, he's going to have a child, he began to ask, how shall I know this? Verse 18. How will I know? How do I know this is true? An angel just told him that. How shall I know this is true? Since then I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I don't see how this is going to happen. Verse 20 says, Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak from these days until this takes place because you did not believe my words. When given the word from God, he didn't believe it, he didn't accept it. He knew and understood what it said, but he just didn't believe it. See, the problem wasn't understanding. I didn't understand that he was saying we were going to have a child. I didn't understand that. That's not the problem. It is because he did understand it that he rejected it. You're saying... Now we're going to adopt a child. You're saying that me at this age and her at that we're going to have a child. That's what you're saying? <laughs> Let me get this straight. You're saying we're going to have a child. How on earth can that be? Why did you reject it? Verse 18 suggests it's because it didn't fit with human reasoning. How could this be? See, now think about it. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. At this age, we're going to have children? By the way, this wasn't promised as a virgin birth. They're going to have a child like everybody else has a child. And we're going to have that? And God called that unbelief. I want to suggest you there may be times it's hard. We have a hard time believing God. Now, this is not for you, perhaps. But there's somebody that looks at baptism and they say, you know what? I'm just trying to think this through. I don't see, I don't get it. You're telling me that before you go under the water, you're a sinner, and then when you're put under the water and you come up, you're forgiven? I'm not understanding how water, I'm, I'm not getting this. I'm not seeing how this works. 
I believe. But I just can't accept that. For someone else, it may be the disobedient will be lost. I don't see how God's going to condemn them. Or that there is an eternal hell. I don't see how that could be. Or that God created the world instantly. He spoke it and it was done. It didn't take years and years and years for it to settle out. But I just don't know how see how God said, let there be light and instantaneously there was light. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Pass it through the process of human reasoning. Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. Anyone knows they couldn't live inside the fish. That, that's not... <laughs> I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't get that. So I can't accept the fact that Jonah actually was alive inside a great, the belly of a great fish. I, I can't accept that, someone said. And someone else says, the serpent spoke to Eve, really? Are you telling me a snake talked? A real serpent really talked. And you expect me to believe that? Lord, I believe. Help my rejection of the word help me with my lack of confidence in the word help me to believe what God says help me to be more like Abraham who not being weak in faith was fully convinced that what he has promised he is also able to perform let's go again let's talk about the disciples this time Lord I believe help my unbelief the disciples, when they came to Jesus, needed to be asking the same thing. And basically, that's what they, why couldn't we do that? We tried, it failed. Explain to us what happened. The quest needs to be, help me when I fail to use the faith that I have. You see, the disciples had faith, but they didn't use it. Let's go to Matthew 17, 20. You say, well, why, why, why do you say they didn't use their faith? Let's go to Matthew's account of this. Same passage, same illustration, by the way, given in Mark 9. And so when they said, why couldn't we do this? Jesus said, because of your unbelief, your lack of faith. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, that's the smallest of seeds. If I had a mustard seed in my hand and held it up, you couldn't see it. You'll be able to say to this mountain, move here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. This only comes out by prayer and fasting. What's his point? He's not saying if you had a whole lot more faith. If you had faith as big as an ostrich egg, you could have done it. But if you'd had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you could have done it. Luke 17, when the disciples, we'll come back to that, what that means in a moment. But in Luke 17, remember when the, uh, Jesus said, forgive up to seven, and not unto seven times, but unto 70 times seven. And if he comes to you saying, I repent, you should forgive him. Remember that? Remember what the cry of the disciples was? Increase our faith. We need more faith to do that. And his response was, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be moved. What's his point? His point is, you have faith. You have faith. You're not using the faith you have. Yes, your faith may need to be stronger. Yes, it may need to be greater. And yes, it may be lacking. But you had enough faith, you should have been able to do that. So it's not always a matter of how much faith we have, but using the faith that we have in doing what we know. 
I told this at his funeral. But one day I was laboring here in the pulpit that we need stronger faith. We need more knowledge. We need to study more. James McCarty came out and said, that's not our problem. We already know more now than we're doing. Amen. That's the point to the disciples. It's not that you need greater faith. It's not that you need more faith. Disuse the faith that you have. Let's go back to the context of forgiving. You need to forgive. And you say, I, I just can't bring myself to turn loose and let go of that and just forgive that person. What I need, though, is stronger faith to do that. No, you already have enough faith to do that. You already have enough faith to do that. You're just not doing that. Maybe it's studying. Boy, I wish my faith was strong and I would, I would study more if I had stronger faith. You already have enough faith to be studying more. Same thing with attendance. If my faith was stronger, I believe I would attend more. You already know you need to be attending more. You already know that. Or be the mate that you should be. Or being kind. Oh, we think his faith is just weak. That's why he's, when we talk to him, he just, he's cutting. And that's why she's unkind in her words. Her faith in, no, no, they've got more faith than they're using is the point. Maybe it's teaching others. You see, your faith may be lacking. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples, and it is. But you have enough faith to do better than you are. You just didn't use the faith you had. But let's go again. I want to suggest to you that any time that I fail to do what I should, I'm failing to use the faith I have. In other words... I say something and, and I shouldn't have said it. And I said, you know what? I, I've, I've blurted out some things I shouldn't have said. Boy, what I need is stronger faith. No, I had enough faith. I just didn't use it. Just didn't use it. I had enough faith. And maybe I didn't attend like I should have. And, and so I've been negligent. You said, boy, I, I, what I need is stronger faith. No, you have, you have enough faith. To do that, you have. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Let's go back and finish in the context one more time. With this father of the epileptic son, his cries helped me in the midst of my emotional turmoil. I know it's an emotional turmoil. The father was frustrated. His son is in sad condition. This has gone on for a long time, he says. He'd sought help and found none through the disciples. His first disappointment was coming and Jesus wasn't there. Goes to the disciples and they failed. And I know it was an emotional turmoil because notice it, verse, verse, uh, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Go back to verse 22. If you can have anything, have compassion, not on him, but on us and help us. I'm suffering with my child. What I want to suggest to you is that emotional turmoil can make any one of us at any given moment. When you look to someone to your left or to your right and you say, I see someone that's going through some emotional turmoil, I wonder why. 
Don't get too cocky because it could happen to any one of us at any moment. Jackson said it best when he said, no one is characterized by a red-hot faith around the clock. Your faith may be red-hot right now and you're marching just like you should, but the bottom may fall out before it's over. And you may be shaken to the core. For one, it may be their impending death. They're marching along with red-hot faith and all of a sudden they get the news that you've got two weeks to live. And now they're in emotional turmoil. Maybe it's the announcement of the death of a loved one. It may be family stress. The family is topsy-turvy. Don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen in the family. Emotional turmoil. It may be job pressures for others. Things are going well in the family, but the job isn't going well. And we don't know if we're going to have a job. Or maybe this job is going to kill us. It may be sickness we're going through. And we wonder if we're ever going to get better. And if so, when? It may be a great concern for others. But I want to suggest to you that when we're under emotional turmoil, we can still have faith, and yet we struggle. Job did. Do you remember Job? Go back to the book of Job for a moment. And as you're going backwards toward Job, let's stop at the 19th chapter. Look at Job 19 and verse 25, this great declaration of faith. He said, I know my Redeemer lives and shall stand at last on earth. I'm holding doggedly to this faith and I am not going to let go of that faith. I believe, he said. Well, while you're there in the book of Job, back up to the 6th chapter. And oh boy, did Job struggle. So I want you to notice in chapter 6 and in verse 3, he said, For then, for it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words have been rash. You see, in the midst of this turmoil, I say things I don't mean. You ought to know that. I'm struggling. Frustrated. He's frustrated at God. Look at verse 4. For arrows of the mighty are within me. God's setting me up for target practice. He's shooting at me. I don't understand. Job had faith, but he had an emotional struggle. The Father did in our text. Back to Mark 9. The Father had an emotional struggle. Help us, he said. Help us. If you can do anything. Go back to verse 24 one more time. He came with the child and he cried out with tears. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What an emotional plea that must have been. An application of this text, Jackson said this. Be that as it may, sometimes we are hurting so badly and pain can generate confusion. Our hearts may overpower our heads. By that we mean our agony forces clear logic to the side and we begin to think with our feelings. We still believe, but we get angry. We feel neglected. We don't understand why the Lord doesn't rush to our beck and call. Sometimes we pout. 
We refuse to talk to him. That is, we don't pray. We think we'll punish him by refusing to assemble with the other Christians for worship. We may even say harsh words or thought, harsh and thoughtless things to him, almost literally shaking our fist in his face. Times like these, we need to get a hold of ourselves and give ourselves a good shaking, and we need to cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. We need to ask for his patience. We need to weep before him. We ought to agonize, analyze our situation and attempt to determine if we have contributed to our own problems. And if so, if there's anything we can do to help remedy the circumstance. When we absolutely must not do is, what we must absolutely not do is give in to our frustration. Once we see struggling with our faith and let it slide, we're headed down a slippery slope that will lead to eternal ruin. What a horrible thought to contemplate. Lord, I believe but help me in my times of unbelief. Help me in the midst of such an emotional turmoil as was the case with his father. What an interesting story. The epileptic son brought to the Lord. His father is torn and rent asunder over the problem. What can we do? And he cries out to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me be stronger in my faith. Help me settle my doubts. Help me in my disobedience. Help me in my rejection of the word. Help me when I fail to use the faith I have. And help me in the midst of this emotional turmoil. Help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge the faith that you have, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come all together we stand and while we sing?